Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or trash piece of cinema or trashed. Was it? Oh, yeah, because they got trashed. They get yeah, trashed. They get trashed. That's right. In the film. Yeah. It's all about getting trashed on Fire Island. Uh, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, the name of the film is Fire Island. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's not a spoiler at all. We put that in the title of it's, the episode. Yeah, they, they saw they saw the title of the episode. Yeah. The uh, the fun thing about this movie. Uh, well, we'll get into it, obviously. Right. Um, but that it is uh, definitely like a very nice, nice to see a movie set in the summer when we're in like the middle of winter and it's like freezing outside. I'm like, ah, yes, there are nice warm times near beaches and water. <laughs> yeah, nice. there's like points where um, one of the characters some of the characters are walking in the rain and, and I'm like in their bathing suit and I'm just like, no, it is too cold. So cold yeah. Oh wait, it's the summertime where you are. You're right. fine. You're not freezing in a sweater in a cold house like I am. Uh, you're fine. Yeah. It's, it's warm. And so uh, we will get into the movie in a little bit, uh, but we are, are celebrating that movie today in celebration of another uh, big thing that happened in the news. That's right. That's right. Should we go ahead and kick it off? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Why not? All right. This past Tuesday, President Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law. The bill gives new landmark federal protections for married, same-sex, and interracial couples. Support for the bill codifying protections for same-sex marriage and interracial marriage faced renewed pressure following the Supreme Court's Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization decision this past spring, which overturned Roe v. Wade. The decision included a concurring opinion by Justice Clarence Thomas, who called into question precedents supporting the rights to privacy on which protections for uh, other rights, including contraception and gay and interracial marriage rely. Yeah, boo him. He's a stinky, stinky poo-poo head. (laughs) The uh, that's that's my legal um, that's the official interpre- legal ter- interpretation. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Regular L Woods over here. <laughs> so like, what is the thing that from the Do- Dobbs, Dobbs decision right. makes it seem that something like Obersfell and uh, Griswold and, and whatever are under attack, right? Like what, what, what is the thing that Clarence Thomas is pointing to that he wants to sort of dismantle that uh, would affect those other cases, right? Right. So uh, what we saw in the Dobbs case is the justices essentially saying that we do not have the right to privacy in this medical capacity, right? Mm-hmm. That that women or people who are pregnant are not afforded a right to make their own medical decisions about their bodies without the intervention of the government because we don't inherently have that right. Now, this right is based off of the 14th Amendment, which says that we have a right to privacy. However, that right to privacy is not explicitly enumerated, or when we say enumerated, explicitly written down, written out in the Constitution. So we have these different kinds of rights, right? We have enumerated rights, which are written out, right? Mm -hmm. They're numbered and written um, in the Constitution, the right to um, freedom of speech, is one of those rights. Right. But we have other rights that are not explicitly stated in the Constitution. And so those rights might be something like the right to travel or the right to privacy. Those are things that are implied but not explicitly written down. And so we have to put on our constitutional founding <laughs> father hats and say, what do we think that the founding 
fathers meant by this right here. So for instance, the right to bear arms explicitly says that people have the right to um, have weapons, right? But we have to infer, we have to imply that what they mean by weapons or the weapons that we're allowed to have is an AK-47, right? right. The, the founding fathers didn't could not conceive of a weapon of really mass destruction, sure, yeah, mass murder, yeah. mass murder that we have now. Like they were literally stuffing, you know, Pellets sticks down yeah, long powder, yeah. barrels that took them five minutes to fire off a single shot right. when they wrote the Constitution. They could not have envisioned a gun that could shoot thousands of rounds within a couple of minutes. And right. so we are inferring, right? It is not enumerated that every American has the right to own as many AK-47s as they want. Right. That is implied, right? And so the right to things like privacy is implied in a couple of different amendments, but I think specifically this one rests on the 14th Amendment. Right, which is mostly that, about due process, right? Yeah, which just says that, that the government cannot just have limitless say over our bodies. And so there are certain things, protections that that court cases have decided that we have rights to based off of this idea that we have a, a, a reasonable right to privacy from the government. Right. And some of those things include uh, the right to contraception, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You and I as a married couple, it was decided in the 1960s that we get to decide whether or not I can be on birth control. Right, right. Um, the government does not have the right to ban people from purchasing birth control. Right. The government does not have, according to this right to privacy, um, the government does not have the right to tell us that you and I cannot be married because we are different races, right? right? right. Uh, the government does not have the right to intervene in these ways. And so when we say that Roe v. Wade is based off of precedent, the precedent is this right, uh, this unenumerated right to privacy. Right. So in my in my sort of curiosity about it, I looked up what the statement was. It's basically no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So the implication there being, again, not directly stated, but that you have the rights that you have private to yourself in your home, and the government cannot abridge those rights without due process of law which means right. taking you to court. That's right. And so based off of this, this, um, this idea of due process, we have this idea of privacy, right? And what we saw after the Dobbs opinion, which revoked women's rights to autonomy over their own body, based off of this idea that we don't have privacy, right to privacy, is we saw an opinion by Clarence Thomas, a concurring opinion, right? A lot of times we hear about dissenting opinions, yeah. right? Dissenting opinions are like, you know, um, the the right wing of the Supreme Court said something awful and I as, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg am going to disagree in my dissenting opinion. He Put wrote a collar. Yeah. Right. He wrote a concurring opinion, which means I agree with everything you said. And also I'm going to be kind of a dick about it right. and tell you additional stuff that I didn't, yeah. I didn't even have to say, but I'm gonna. Yeah, he's like Zion Williamson throwing like the 360 windmill jam, even though they've already won the game and like the Suns get upset about it. Sorry. That's something that just happened. And I just like sports. glazed yep. right over. Yep. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so this was basically just Clarence Thomas being kind of a dick about it yeah. and saying, and also the rights that we get from due process, um, the rights that we get for 
for married for uh, married interracial couples, for um, for birth control, for all of these different things mm-hmm. that are depending on this one single right should maybe be reexamined because I don't think that this right exists in the first place. Right, right. So once we had that dissent, that concurring opinion come out last spring, there was a huge uproar, rightfully so, by the by the the left wing of America, right? By basically people saying, oh, oh, so we are going after this. Right. Right. You are. We were right. We were not like blowing smoke up everybody's butt to try and generate like turnout for elections. Like we actually believe, and it is said in paper by one of the conservatives uh, running the Supreme Court that you do want to reevaluate uh, the ability to have contraception, the ability to have interracial marriage, the ability to have gay marriage. Right. At least one ninth of the people who are able to make this decision for all of America have explicitly stated that they're coming for those rights. Yeah. Supreme Court's bad. I don't like it. <laughs> it's the it is absolutely an illegitimate institution at yeah. this point. Right. It yep. has been decided by stolen and nefarious practices yeah. from Mitch McConnell and whatever. Like it is it it. I don't agree with, I don't recognize the decisions as being legitimate that have come out since, I mean, I guess what, since Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Um, Alito? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and Clarence Roberts Thomas would... himself shouldn't even be on the court because he. I mean, that's true. Yeah. He was appointed by George Bush Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, and should have been not allowed to take the court because of Anita Hill's testimony right. uh, for his sexual harassment. Uh, but then even even if you say, well, you know, the president, he was elected duly and can appoint anyone he wants, even if that's the case, the uh, the Bush judges, uh, Alito, um, uh, Roberts and Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, were all appointed by a president who couldn't win the popular vote. That's right. The Trump judges, yep. uh, Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett and Merrick Garland. Uh, were all appointed by a president who couldn't win the popular vote and also mm-hmm. a president who was convicted or should be convicted of many crimes. We're just waiting. TikTok, TikTok, Justice impeached. Department. But who was also doubly impeached and also stole, not, I said Merrick Garland, I meant Neil Gorsuch, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, Neil Gorsuch stole the seat that was supposed to be for Merrick Garland appointed by President Obama. Yes. So uh, it's, it's bullshit and chicanery all around with these people. They have no claim to any sort of legitimacy and they want to use their illegitimately gotten power to take away the rights that every American enjoys, whether they know it or not. Yes. Okay. That is correct. So that gets us to gay marriage. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So a lot of people then basically over the summer were saying, well, we need to codify this right because we yeah. never actually got around to codifying the right for women to choose or the right for women right. to, I mean, choose is is, is one thing, but the right for, for women and, and for pregnant people to have a say over what happens with their bodies, right? right? That's what that's what Dobbs basically erased is I don't have the right to tell, to, to say what medical decisions happen to my bodies. The government has that right now. Okay. And I am I am a second class citizen sitting in this office right now with you. First class citizen. I'm in coach. Oh, yeah. So that is what happened. And and we were being gaslit the entire time. Right. By the by the right wingers who were saying we don't need to prioritize this. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming for what are we even talking about? Right. It's settled law. It's it's settled law. So we were basically being gaslit the entire time. And then once Dobbs came out and we had this concurring opinion, we had the same kind of bullshit gaslighting from the right wing, from everybody else other than Clarence Thomas, who was like, nah, I like literally said it. Right. Right. And you <laughs> have all these other people who were basically going around 
saying ridiculous things, even all the way up until this vote. You had some nonsense from Marco Rubio saying, I don't know why we're doing that bill. There's no threat to its status in America. I know plenty of gay people in Florida that are pissed off about gas prices. Well, guess what, Marco Rubio? They also still want to be able to get married and have those rights recognized. And we can do more than one thing at the same time. I'm expected to do that at my job all the time. I know that you, a senator, never do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But you can also do multiple things at one time. You literally just have to walk into a room and say, I and vote yay. You know what Marco Rubio could do here? Marco, you worried about gas prices. Why don't you walk into the Senate with a bill? I know you've never written one before. That's okay. Have one of your uh, your little pages write it. But write a bill that says we're going to nationalize the gas companies in this country. We're going to set caps on gas prices and we're going to subsidize Americans use of gas. Now, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that's a really stupid idea because we don't actually want people to use gasoline. The other thing you could do is say Americans are worried about gas prices. We're going to pump a bunch of money into uh, renewable energy, right? Any solution is fine, Marco. Propose one. See if you can get the votes for it, bud. But guess what? Saying that gay people are not worried about their right to get married because of gas prices is the most illogical bullshit excuse. And the way that this guy keeps getting reelected is beyond me. He's I just, mean, Florida citizens have literally all just jumped right off of a cliff in terms of sanity. It's true. But I, so, so Marco Rubio is trying this nonsense. John Cornyn of Texas has also been saying that he thinks that this is just a political stunt by Democrats to scare people into thinking that somehow the decision by the Supreme Court is in jeopardy. I don't believe it is. It absolutely is. They literally they said, said it was. that it is. They literally have said that it is. So we have these senators, these Republican mm-hmm. senators, again, gaslighting the American people, saying that we don't need this bill. Um, meanwhile, in the House, you have Representative Vicki Hartzler of Missouri. <laughs> have you heard of this person yeah, before? Yeah, I saw her little Who, thing on Twitter. Yeah, she called the religious freedom provisions that are in the bill, which we'll talk about in a little bit, as being hollow. And she said that the bill was misguided and dangerous. So you, And that it's um, further demonizing the biblical values of the American people. Yeah. So Ain't you, you no literally have- biblical values of American people because American are everyone and most of us don't care about the bible sorry uh, that, that's a little song i don't know if you've ever heard that one before is that in hamilton yes <laughs> hamilton too yeah uh, the jefferson uh version <laughs> And then you also have Representative Jim Jordan, who is saying that the Democrats are conjuring up these unfounded fears and, again, saying that it's dangerous and it takes the country in the wrong direction. So you have all of these representatives in the House yeah. talking, arguing and talking about how bad this bill is and then you have uh, and, and how bad gay marriage is. And then you have people in the Senate like uh, John Cornyn and Marco Rubio saying nobody thinks that your yeah. rights should be taken away when literally mm-hmm. people are arguing your rights should be time. taken away yeah. in the other chamber. Yeah. So can I give Gaslighting. Uh, just, a, just a little bit of uh, theological background here? Just uh, b- very brief. Okay. Okay. Do you remember, do you know like the, the verse in the Bible that people cite when they are against gay marriage? I don't know. Leviticus twenty five seventeen. Eh. Okay. So a man shall not lay with another man as he does a woman, right? First of all, that is transcribed from ancient Hebrew. And there is uh, much scholarly, scholarly debate as to whether it actually means a man shall not lay with a man as he does a woman or a man shall not lay with a like boy. So uh-huh. it's basically, there's an argument to be made that they're actually talking about pedophilia. If y'all want to outlaw like people marrying people under the age of 18 or 16, go ahead. You got no arguments. Yeah. Fine. Okay, you do maybe have arguments from that what that uh, Nazi Milo what's her say what's his face that ate yeah. with Trump at Mar-a-Lago last week. Sure, sure. You would get some you would get some pushback from he, him yeah. because apparently he uh, definitely does believe in boys. pedophilia. Sure. 
Oh, that's yeah. He he mentioned that in the thing. I try not to I try not to engage with. Oh, him. sure. I'm just saying the cries for legitimization of pedophilia are coming from yeah. the right. Yes, but even if you are uh, a, a Christian and you believe Leviticus twenty five seventeen states a man shall not lie with a man, and they mean adult men uh, as he does with a woman, even if you believe Leviticus is cutting out that right from a person biblically, that's the Old Testament. What do we know about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, there's a new character that shows up in the New Testament. Everybody loves him. His name's Jesus. Oh, Caesar? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not exactly. Uh, so, so Jesus, what does Jesus do that's really important? He gets born, right? That's cool. And then what does he do? Was there a part where he was super gay? No. No. He dies on the cross, <laughs> although he did roll around with 12 dudes, so you could ask the question. It's certainly to be uh, inspected. But he dies on the cross. Why does he die on the cross? The Lord sacrifices one begotten son for the sins of, of men, right? Mm-hmm. The punishments in Leviticus, not just not lying with other men, but also not wearing fabrics that were of different materials, uh, you know, cross-blended. Also not eating shrimp, not eating pork. All of that stuff that's in Leviticus mm-hmm. was wiped away because our original sin what those things in Leviticus were actually punishments for was absolved by the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you're a Christian and you believe Leviticus is law, then guess what? You are invalidating the sacrifice of your Lord and Savior. I don't think he would like that. Anyway, this has been uh, Bible Corner with Forrest. Ooh. Sorry. A whole bunch of stuff I'm glad I don't have to worry about as a non-Christian. It just doesn't even make sense in the logic of Christianity, which is to say that it is not based on logic. Their bigotry is based on ignorance and fear. The verses that are pulled out are always, I mean, you can literally argue one thing and the exact other thing from like any part of the Bible. So like, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all nonsense. And also we are supposed to be a government that's free from, has freedom from religion. That's right. right? Freedom of and from religion. We don't have a state sanctioned religion. If your religion says you should not get gay married, then go ahead and don't get gay married. that's fine. Right. So now is probably a good time to talk about what the bill yeah. actually does. Do right. It. So the Respect for Marriage Act um, it does protect already married same-sex couples' rights in all 50 states. Right. It also protects already married interracial couples' rights in all 50 states. And it officially voids the Defense of Marriage Act from 1996, okay. which states that marriage is between a man, a man and a woman. woman. Yeah. Right. So it officially voids that act. It takes it off of the books. However, Obergefell, um, Obergefell in 2015 basically rendered the Defense of Marriage Act like yeah. null and void. Um, and then uh, the the United States versus Windsor um, guaranteed the right for people to get married Got it. Um, in America, I think like the following year. Interesting. However, those are both decisions by the Supreme Court, yeah. right? And they are both decisions that have um that are based off of this idea of privacy and they can as we've seen with roe v wade be be reconsidered at any time because apparently there is no such thing as judicial precedent or settled law in this new illegitimate supreme court that's right they can retract revoke any decision that they've made because it is all illegitimate yeah And so what we need is a law that explicitly states that there are these protections. And that's what this law is doing. Um, 
What this law does not do, however, is it does not guarantee the right for same-sex people or people of different races to get married in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. It only protects the rights of already married people. Oh, I see. So if you and I, let's say that, um, let's say that Obergefell was reversed Mm -hmm. by Clarence Thomas et al. uh, tomorrow. It means that you and I could go to Alabama and our right as an interracial couple to be married would be recognized. I don't actually know if there's any laws that officially ban interracial people, but let's pretend that it's Alabama and that they do put that law because it's Alabama. Yeah. Or Kentucky. Pick any state in the Southeast and there is a reason that they would do it. That reason is the racism, all right. the racism. It just gets everywhere. Or we can just sit, we can talk about instead of um, interracial marriage, we can talk about gay marriage. It means that two people of the same sex would not be able to travel to yeah. Alabama or Texas and get married there. Yeah. Their rights, if they're already married, must be respected. However, two people who are unmarried would not be able to get married. And basically anybody living in the 35 states that have banned gay marriage yeah. would have to travel to the 15 states that have a allowed it in order to get married in the same way that anybody who is pregnant in many number of the like 30 or so states that have banned abortion now or effectively banned abortion have to travel in order to get those abortions. Right. So it it would be a similar landscape to what we see today for people to get gay, you know, gay marriage license yeah. licenses um, as it is to get abortions. Yeah right now. It would depend very much just on the geography of the individual within the United States to get those licenses. It's so dumb because we exist in a world that's like as interconnected as it ever was. Like I work for a company that's based out of Connecticut. My manager is in the UK. I work regularly with people who are in Florida. Mm-hmm. I talked to a, a guy last night who was in Shanghai. Like it is it, like we, I could be anywhere in the world from my computer screen but for the purposes of like getting an abortion, the purposes of getting of having a marriage recognized, we have clamped down on the idea that the state you are in makes any difference at all, which is, oh gosh, what's the term? Horseshit. It's horseshit. We are a country, United States of America, for a reason. I think federalism is probably one of the biggest sins of the originators of the country. The idea that states have all of these enumerated rights that have to be protected from federal overreach. Like, no, that does, nah, nah, nope, nope, not true. Not yeah, at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Unpopular opinion, states are stupid. Yeah, I think we should have like regions, but they all should have the same laws. <laughs> states are dumb. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so this is, this is, Seems like it's like a half step. It's certainly not. It is the most that you can do. It is the most that could be done at this point. One other thing that was in the bill is something called the Religious Freedom Amendment. Mm -hmm. And you may be wondering to yourself, Jesse, you said that um, everybody was in an uproar over the summer and it is now December. Why are we (laughs) suddenly signing this, this bill into law Five months later, after it was originally passed in the House in July. Because in order to get Republican support, they had to drag their religion into everybody's, uh, they had to drive their, drag their shitty uh, religion raisins into everybody else's potato salad. Well, uh, so, so they had to do two things, right? Okay. The religion raisins, and then also they had to slow play the bill and not bring it up for a vote in the Senate until, until after, after the, elections. the midterms. Yeah. That's right. 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 
And so what happened is over the summer, they brought this up before the House and it actually garnered support from a surprising number of Republicans. I think close to a quarter of the Republicans in the House actually voted for the for the bill. Because I'm sure their constituents also support the bill because most Republicans exist on thin margins. Right, right. I mean, the vast majority of Americans support gay marriage. And so at that point, the lead sponsor, one of the lead sponsors of the bill, Tammy Baldwin, who, by the way, is, I guess, the first elected lesbian to Congress. I I didn't know know that she was a lesbian. Neither did I. Um, Just a a war hero. Yeah. Uh, but, But Tammy Baldwin basically saw that support. She wanted to get it passed in the House. But again, we have all the way back to our very first episode, the filibuster, which requires a 60 vote threshold in order for any bill to be called up for a vote. That'd be in the Senate. In the Senate, right. And and she's a senator. And so she talked to other senators and she basically convinced Chuck Schumer to hold off on calling it for a vote until after the midterms. And in in that way, she made a deal with Republican senators that they would allow for a vote and they would meet that 60 vote threshold in order to to eventually be able to pass this bill. So it's, you know, backroom dealing and whatever, and it makes sense. But that's the reason that this wasn't passed until uh, until just now. Makes sense. I mean, as as terrible as that political horse trading is, uh, you know, you do see the game theory behind it. Right. Now, the other thing that the Religious Freedom Amendment that I talked about does is it basically uh, is language that ensures that churches, universities, and other nonprofit religious organizations would not lose their tax-exempt status mm-hmm. um, or any other benefits for refusing to recognize same-sex marriages. So basically, like, um, Notre Dame, yeah, right, okay. could refuse to, like, recognize same-sex marriage or, or whatever. Right. Um, hmm. Or I, I don't know what that— how, what con- in what context yeah. that would come up, but well, I mean, there's like housing benefits for married couples and stuff like that, in right? Colleges. Like they, as a religious institution, um, uh, would not lose their like tax exempt status or or whatever it is, right? <laughs> um, churches that refuse to perform gay marriage rights would yeah. not lose their tax exempt status. Yeah. So I personally uh, would, <laughs> if I were emperor of the United States, would just go ahead and revoke the tax exempt status of uh, religious organizations anyway. Sure. Because they already politic, uh, they already participate in the political process. Right. They already advocate to their uh, to their constituents and their congregations who they should vote for and why. And I mean on both sides. Okay. Like I mean, like there are, there are black churches that were going against Herschel Walker. There are white churches that were going for Satan. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Donald Trump. It really hard. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know what? If you want to make those statements, fine. Pay your entry fee into society. It's called taxes. Give me the money. Right. Well, and here's how you know that churches are political because this free religious freedom amendment was very much supported by the church of Latter-day Saints, which is why both Mike Lee and Mitt Romney of Utah were supporters of, were two of the 12 Republican senators that supported this bill. Oh boy. So Mm. both senators from Utah, also both senators from North Carolina. Sure. um, Supported the bill and uh, both senators from Alaska as well. Yeah, Burr's on his way out and Tillis just got reelected like last, two years ago. So he didn't, wasn't under a lot of pressure. Right. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, you know, Susan Collins, um, Murkowski is from Alaska. Yeah. Joni Ernst, which I guess takes care of, like, you know, she's a witch. <laughs> yeah, you know. Throwback to what, 2012? <laughs> <laughs> of course, the witch is going to be for gay marriage. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there's a there. So there were 12 Republicans basically who supported this bill, um, and then there were 39 Republicans in the House who also supported the bill. All right. Well, it's the least you could do. Congratulations on not being the worst of the worst. Right. Right. So that basically talks about uh, what the bill does, Um, you know, and you mentioned this before, but we were talking about how Americans, the majority of Americans, really um, the vast majority support gay marriage at this point. Right. The Republicans are voting for this because they're they do um, a lot of them represent very purple districts where they are on the margins. And uh, the majority, the vast majority of people, including Republicans, think that that gay people should be allowed to get married and afforded the rights as yeah. the same rights as same sex people. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week, like the popularity of gay marriage skyrocketed in the nineties and stayed uh, and stayed there. Like it is, it is a thing that people believe is a right I- inherent to people who are practicing same sex relationships. Like it is uh, what in the high sixties for support in the country, which is like, you can assume any poll of people in this country is going to have 30% of people who are scum, like human filth. And the other, and so you're basically saying all the normal people right, yeah. are, are on board. Yeah. So it's like 68% according to a poll by the Public Religious Research Institute yeah. from this year. Um, and it's up 14 points from where it was in 2014, uh, according to the same poll. Mm-hmm. So it, what's, what's interesting, though, is that President Biden is the obviously the person who is signing this bill into yeah. law. And he had a watershed moment of almost exactly 10 years ago in May of 2012. I was going to say, I remember this. It was prior, like, I think when Barack was campaigning in t- 2008. He was against uh, gay marriage. Even in 2012. Oh, really? Okay. And and Biden came out and said, no, I support it and we should. Yeah. So back in, uh, it was May 6th of of 2012, almost, uh, or over over 10 years ago, uh, Vice President, then Vice President Biden was on Meet the Press and he was talking with um, somebody on there and uh, the idea of same-sex marriage was brought up. And he basically, he said almost the exact same words back then that he used in his speech when he signed it into law on Tuesday, which was was that it is a simple proposition. Who do you love? Who do you love? Yeah. And will you be loyal to that person that you love? And I love that George Thurgood song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he came out as saying, quote, I am absolutely comfortable with the fact that men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying each another are entitled to the same exact rights, all the civil rights, all the civil liberties. And quite frankly, I don't see much of a distinction beyond that. So he was at that point uh, the highest ranking government official to come out in support of gay marriage. Good job, Joe Biden. That's right. And it's funny because he basically said that his measure for why people, why this should be afforded is the American people. And uh, he said, quote, I think Will and Grace probably did more to educate the American public than almost anything anybody's done so far. Certainly helps to put us to sleep lately. Because <laughs> um, Jesse puts it on the TV as we go to sleep, not because it's a bad show. Just to be clear. Um, I just have to have, you know, a laugh track going sure. in the background as I as I doze off to sleep at night. Uh, and and so his conversation on that day was was a surprise. He claims that it was um, not pre-planned, and it prompted President Obama at that point to also stake out the same position just a few days later, along with a bunch of other national leaders. But at that point, Obama had not come out yeah. as officially being for same-sex marriage. Now he was fighting the "Don't ask, don't tell" 
bill and the Defense of Marriage Act in other ways. Um, I think that they said that any hospital at that point that received federal funding, which is basically all hospitals, had to respect the right of uh, of the partners to to be able to visit, um, to be able to visit their partners, their same sex partners. Yeah, I remember this this time being a lot of like like people on the right sort of trying to hide their bigotry by being like, "Well, I think marriage is a specific act for blah blah blah," and they can you know they should just be happy with like civil unions, which confer many of the same rights but not the same thing, blah blah blah. And it's it's like some people we know who are like, uh, "Well, I think workers are very important and they should have their rights protected," but I'm anti-union. It's right. like, well, if you change the name, if it weren't unions, then maybe changing the name would make me f- feel better about it. It's like, would a, would a rose by any other name not smell as sweet? Like, have we not gone through this in life before where we realize that just like you should support the actions, not the name of a thing? It's it's all just talking points. It's, it's yes. all just talking points yep. that have been heard and are being regurgitated by right. the right wing media. That's yeah. literally all that it is. And it's just people with these like brain worms in their head who just watch Fox News and read, you know, Breitbart or yep. whatever. And they just say, yeah, that sounds right. So that you're saying we should have done Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I have no idea what that joke is referencing. Oh, uh, brain worms. In Star Trek Wrath of Khan, they put the worms in his ear and it goes into his brain. Oh. Uh, Khan. I've never seen it. Okay. Is good. But I believe you. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, all that to say, uh, there are good things about this, but there are also other things that are basically lacking and we are still living in a uh, hellscape mm, where mm, rights mm, can mm. be revoked at any moment at the whim of illegitimate judges who have been placed there by illegitimate presidents. Super cool. Everybody, Merry Christmas. Hooray. Speaking of Christmas, what? since we're in that season, I got to bring up our boy again. Sorry, I have to do this twice in an episode. But our boy JC. JC? Yeah, not Jesse Connor. Yeah. Jesus Christo. Okay. Uh, much like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead three days after being hung on the cross by the Romans and returned uh, to do whatever he did. Uh, I, I never got that part clear. Did he just, out like, eggs. Did he just come back and like play Xbox? I don't know. He uh, gave out chocolate bunnies. Yeah. He, uh, much like he returned from the dead. The movie we're going into today is called Fire Island, and it too returned from the dead like a Christmas zombie, although in the summer. It is previously uh-huh. a project that was worked on for the streaming television network Quibi. Oh. Yeah. Quick Bites. Wouldn't you have preferred to watch this movie in about 18 different Quick Bites? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. That sounds bleak. <laughs> that sounds real bad. I love, love the fact that Jeffrey Katzenberg just burned like $1.5 billion on this platform because he was like, you know, people want to watch interesting dramatic stories on their phone on the train at five minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah, I I do love seeing billionaires burn money on social media accounts. Yeah, yeah not this... related to anything happening today. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and then just get booed out of, off of stage. I haven't like, seen that video yet. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's for anybody respect. listening. I guess there's some video of Elon Musk being pulled on stage by Dave Chappelle in Portland, I think, or yeah. Seattle, I think it was San Francisco. So it was San Francisco, so, yeah. somewhere in the Northwest, and uh, being just straight up booed by sixteen thousand people for. Uh, like a four minutes straight. Yep. Yep. Cause like, he's bad. Sorry, Elon, you're not at like a tech conference. You're Everyone not at Davos. Him. Like real people hate you. Also, guess what? Just, this is an aside. Elon Musk has not paid the rent bill for mm-hmm. Twitter for the last three or four weeks. So, Hey, guess what? Poor asshole. Pay your fucking rent. You broke ass piece of shit. Pay your, pay your rent, pay your rent, sell a Tesla, pay your rent. 
Okay, we're going to... I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Have done. to do something about this story, <laughs> I guess, at some point. Uh, no, that was it. I don't want okay. to <laughs> wanted, wanted yell. Uh, so in 2019, um, th- uh, they were developing... Um, the the writer of this uh, project and the lead actor, Joel Kim Booster, mm-hmm. um, worked on this script and uh, basically was titling it uh, Trip for Quibi. Mm-hmm. And when Quibi shuttered, uh, well, it was actually given a series order as uh, as basically um, late as March the 11th of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, Bowen Yang was cast as a lead role in April 15th. Um, they had they had actually been friends for quite some time um, in the sort of New York comedy scene, mm-hmm. and so they were to play sort of fictionalized versions of themselves. Um, a different director was attached for the series, but then on December 1st of 2020, of course. Uh, Quibi was uh, let go from uh, existence. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the projects from Quibi ended up getting bought by Roku, but this one was actually brought to uh, feature film production by Searchlight Pictures, formerly Fox Searchlight. Um, now it's you know, owned by Disney, I believe. So um, purchased the script on June the 30th of 2021, retitled it Fire Island, which is a much better title. Mm-hmm. And uh, they attached a director by the name of Andrew Ahn, uh, who was also um, a gay Asian man to direct. So yep. um, the, the the great thing about this was uh, the, the movie was conceived, um, acted by and directed by members of the community, which it is portraying. So I think that's that's incredibly important. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed, actually, as we were going through and I was looking at the IMDb page is I think that like the top four build people are also Asian American. Yeah. And that's that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. that's, uh, you know, like aside. Uh, aside from crazy rich, rich Asians, you don't really see that a lot in, in these big budget films either. And it's not like anything about like them being Asian. They just happen to be Asian. Right. And then there's this story. Yeah. And they will play, they will play into some of that in the way it's related to the plot. Right. But they're not just like, look at this wacky Asian stuff going on. It's just, they're just guys going to Fire Island or uh, a woman who owns a house in Fire Island. Who happened to be Asian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Andrew on in a couple of interviews um, said, I thought a lot about how this film was for my friends, for my queer community. I wanted it to show us as beautiful beings that our stories are really important and worth telling and that it can be fun and sexy and irreverent all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's about the community of which he is a part, which I think is is incredibly important in a film like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the thing that I think it was um, Joel Kim Booster said was that initially it felt like it was not going to happen. Like, it just didn't think that the, the film was going to go. But he he went, quote, balls to the wall <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and wrote as honestly as possible with not only trying to write to an audience um, that he didn't think would be interested in seeing it, but writing to the community specifically. And he even knew in writing it, when he went to the studio, um, he said that sometimes they didn't understand the humor and that was okay. Um, as long as I explained it to them, they didn't need the whole audience to know. And so he could explain why it was funny to the community that he was from. Right. And as long as they were like, okay, sounds great. We give you some some freedom and some leeway. That's kind of nice, right? Nice to have a little bit of uh, creative feedback from the studio that's not, hey, notes on this thing. Right. And I think that, you know, you can tell that there are places where they do education, but it's not over the top or, you know, it's not something that's like literally uh, just, you know, here's 15 minutes of me telling you about gay relationships. Right. Um, assuming that you are a straight person who is not in this world and we have to start from scratch. Yeah. Unlike the film that we almost did this week. Uh, we, yeah, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll get there later. <laughs> Um, so as I mentioned, the film stars Joel Kim Booster as Noah, uh, Bowen Yang as Howie, 
and the, a couple other of their friends, uh, Matt Rogers plays Luke, Thomas Matos plays Keegan. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was on. Oh, uh, Torian Miller plays Max. So these are the five friends going to Fire Island together. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first see uh, Noah's character come out of his apartment, he brushes past a copy of... Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, um, let me put on my Jane Austen uh, bonnet. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say hat, but that doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't strike me as a hat lady, but bonnet, yes. Okay. Uh, so, so this is not loosely, but very kind of strictly an adaptation, strictly ad- adapted from Pride and Prejudice. It like, is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice very directly, yes. Very, very directly. Like there's a one-to-one correlation for almost every single character that is in this film, yeah. for basically every character, main character that's in this film. Now, there are some characters from Pride and Prejudice who have been left out that don't really make sense, and that's yeah. fine. Um, I think that a couple of the Bingleys are not in there, and then the father, Mr. Bennett, yeah. um, is also not included. And I don't think that they had anybody who played uh, Mr. Collins, um, but... I don't know who any of these people are, but that's okay, because I did call one of them, right? I was like, is that guy supposed to be Mr. Darcy? And you're like, yes. yes. I was like, great. The grumpy fellow. <laughs> I got it. A, a, yes, uh, um, absolutely. So Will, who yeah, is the love Conrad interest. Conrad Rikamura. That's yep. right. So he is Mr. Darcy, basically, yeah. in this. And he's like, he does, he does a great job. You yeah. know, I think that in addition, though, to having a one-to-one parallel of the five friends who go to Fire Island, who are obviously the five Bennett sisters, um, you also have their quote-unquote mother, who is Aaron. Played by Margaret Cho, the great Margaret oh, Cho. Gosh, she is so good in this. She's great, yeah. I think that everybody did a really good job I thought in all terms the acting was, was great. I think there were some moments of high, uh, like high, higher emotional moments where mm-hmm. you could see sort of the limitations of uh, some of the acting, but it was it, minute. It was small. Everybody yeah. did a really good job. Yeah. Everybody did a really great job all, for the for the most part, and uh, you know. So, uh, but you you have um, yeah Noah, uh, who is played by Joel Kim Booster. That is Lizzie Bennett, basically the pro- main protagonist for the film, and then you have uh, his five you know quote unquote sisters that mm-hmm. go with him. Um, Bowen Yang plays Howie. Yep. That is the corollary to Jane, the eldest of the Bennett sisters. Yep. And known from SNL. That's right. That's right. Um, and then you also have um, Mary, who, or sorry, Max, who is basically Lydia. Luke, or sorry, Max, who is basically Mary. Luke, who is basically Lydia. Um, and Keegan uh, is the other one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then you have Charlie, which is the love interest of Howie, yes. um, who is Mr. Bingley, um, and best friends with Mr. Darcy, Will. So all of the characters are there, but I think that what they do is that's really interesting also is they change the stakes. Like the 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 characters have parallels, right? But yeah. the stakes have parallels too, because it doesn't make sense, obviously, for these um, five gay men to be going somewhere looking to get married. Because right, that's to be, actually- To be like set up in whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's actually not a big part of at least young gay culture to my understanding. Right, for, well, and it's also very funny because to just jump right ahead to the end of the movie, yeah. um, when they bring back what Charlie, I think it is, to- um, to Bo and Yang's character, Howie, mm-hmm. um, they, they steal a, a water taxi and drive up to sort of do the, you know, chase him after the, at the airport scene or whatever. Right. Um, you know, but instead on water and, and he jumps off and they're like, you got to do something big, man. You got to go big. And he's like, I'd love you. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 too big, too big, too big. Back it up, back it up. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that would be a little weird. We just met each other. <laughs> and so, right. Uh, but like, yeah, the stakes are 
not necessarily lowered, but they are adjusted to the culture, which that's, I think is smart. That's exactly right. And not only are the stakes adjusted, but also the settings and the scenes and the the uh, social settings in which they interact are adjusted yeah. as well, right? So instead of having these big grand balls, you'd still have parties, but they are just, they're parties on Fire Island yeah. and they're like raves and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Where people are able to interact and dance Underwear and party. have conversations in a similar way that they might at like a grand ball. So I think that there were just a lot of really smart choices and smart parallels that were drawn in this to, you know, from one world to the other. I I, I really enjoyed this adaptation as a person who has also read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and, you know, has yeah. watched the, the BBC series and then also like several of the films. I, I thought this was a really refreshing adaptation. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I think I put in my letterbox review that I would watch this 10 times over <laughs> before I'd watch another like Kira Knightley version of a Jane Austen adaptation. Like I don't particularly have much fondness for those really staid, stoic, you know, uh, set in England countrysides in like the 1800s. I don't care about right. those at all. But this was m- much more fun, much more lively. Uh, now, I, obviously, so Joel Kim Booster wrote the script and in commenting on uh, the sort of value of Jane Austen, he says, even today, the comedy in her novels holds up so, so well. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the ways in which we are awful to one another without being awful to one another. Um, it's what's not being said uh, underneath the surface. Yeah. So I think... Like he had a clear understanding of the text, right? Which is important for uh, an adaptation. Right. And especially when you're going to change some of the, you know, the, or the edges around the story, right? Keep the the narrative thrust, but change a lot of the, you know, the external characters that can be disappeared. The, uh, you know, the stakes, as you mentioned, like those kinds of changes, you do have to have a good understanding of what the crux of that text is about. So it's, it's clear he did. Yeah. I think that the other thing that was really great about this too, is he kept all of the things that, that the themes from the original text, like classism and the expectations on women at the time. He kept those and found corollaries for those, but also in addition to the classism, he was able to layer in, because it's not just like, you know, white people in the English countryside, he's able to layer in ideas of racism within uh, the gay community as well. And then also like pretty privilege is sort of brought up at one point. as well, not they don't explicitly call it that, but no, they they yeah. talk about like the the way that looks play out in the gay community. There's so, like a hierarchy, yeah, and like having visible abs is like part of that, or like having uh, you know being white is like a thing that elevates people or, or whatever in that community. And I think one of the things that I read that was so interesting about that is um, because it was written by people in the community. Mm-hmm. The stereotypes were not, oh, we are stereotyping gay people. Right. We are disassembling the stereotypes that exist about gay the gay community from the outside mm-hmm. and reassembling stereotypes that exist in the inside of the community. And so in that way, people watching from outside of the community see it in a different way with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful in the way that that was done because it does give you insight into something that you may not necessarily know. And and for the most part, they don't really explain. They just show. Right. At the they very- don't. Sorry. Oh, they don't. They, to that point, you know, the the racism that you see um, against Asian people in the gay community, like you will literally, to my understanding, you will literally have people on Grinder in their profile say like, "No Asians." Jesus. Like explicitly say like, "No," and he he calls this out, right? No femmes, no Asians, or whatever. Right, 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 he right. has that line. He doesn't lay it out for you in a whole huge monologue, right. but there is that very explicit racism where they think that it's just okay to say that. Yeah. Like white people think that. Um, right. And it's like, wow, that's, 
super duper rate. Like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is insane. The, the one thing I'll say on the sort of, uh, explanatory dialogue is it only really happens at the beginning. There's like a decent amount of explaining of like what this particular element of gay culture is to right. the audience, which they, I assume they meet, will expect to include some straight people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was at very least like pretty dismissive of the need to accommodate any sort of straight ideology. Right. It was not a description of the um, community for others. It was sort of a scene setting in the same way that we would say, here are the families that we're seeing in Pride and Prejudice. Here are their expectations moving forward into these parts of their lives. It was really about like, we are genuinely creating a plot out of the structure of these people's interactions with one another, rather than like, we have to explain what gay culture is, which that other movie we'll mention in a few moments did the opposite of. I mean, I think that the reason that I appreciate something like this is because it's for the same reason that we, I think, watch a lot of shows like Game of Thrones or like, you know, um, the, some of the bigger dramas these days, which is they assume that the audience is smart. They assume uh, in this film that the audience doesn't need handholding. Yeah. And, and I don't, I will either gain the context that I need Eh, or I won't and I'll be okay. And you yeah. don't have to explain every single thing because it gets so tedious. Yeah. And and as such, I'm not going to run through like the plot in any real detail because you probably all know the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Like, yeah. uh, so, you know, Howie is uh, pursuing Charlie. Uh, Will uh, tries to prevent him from, you know, sealing the deal there, uh, even though Charlie is being quite nice and uh, Howie is, is returning, re- reciprocating. They seem to have a good connection. Um, obviously Charlie's ex comes in at some point to create chaos in that situation. Um, Bowen Yang does a very lovely Britney Spears rendition with, uh, two of the other people at a, at a, you know, sort of emotionally vulnerable point in the movie, which is great. Um, and then, uh, you know, Noah, Joel, Joel Booster's character is attracted to this one dude, the guy who d- eventually does like the revenge porn Oh, thing. Mr. Wickham, Dex. De- Dex, yeah, Mr. Wickham. So he's into him, does not like Will because Will is kind of getting in the way of uh, Charlie and, and Bowen Yang's character. And then uh, turns out that he has a bit of a crush on Will and doesn't want to see that through. They fight. It's look, it's the Mr. Darcy thing. Like it's the, it is just pride and prejudice. It's just pride and prejudice. So eventually of course they smooch the other guys smooch. Um, there is, uh, much, uh, revelry. There are many parties. There's lots of like, you know, uh, fun, like things that happen along the way. My favorite scene was probably, um, when they invite Charlie and his like house, including will to play games. And will is on the receiving end of the, um, the heads up, heads up, uh, game on the iPhone. And he has no idea <laughs> what they're asking. And the two uh, other dudes, uh, whose names I am just blanking on at the top of the moment, but, um, they're like yelling Marissa Tomei lines from, uh, my cousin Vinny at him. And he's like, what is going on? I don't know what this is. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. They're having a game night essentially. And they are playing, I mean, it's, it's kind of like celebrity or 25, like they have to guess yeah. who the celebrity is. And, yeah. and uh, he is doing a very bad job of guessing Marissa Tomei and they are doing lines from my cousin Vinny. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. And so that, that was great. Um, there's another really, really fun scene where towards the end, Oh, well they, they discover that Dex has, uh, slept with one of the members of the house, um, of, of the group Mm -hmm. and videotaped it. Mm-hmm. And released it on, I guess, his like social media accounts. It's or, like Instagram or stories or yeah. whatever. And uh, so they they go. Will and 
Noah go and confront him mm-hmm. and demand that he takes it down. Will is a lawyer in the movie, and so he like gives him like a rigmarole about like you're gonna go to jail and blah blah blah. Sex offender. Yeah, and uh, the, and uh, he he like deletes it, and so um, Will looks at the phone. Noah says, "Is it gone?" He says, "Yep." Grabs the phone. He says, "Great." Throws the phone into the water, and they walk off. And as they walk away, Will just says. You know, most phones are actually waterproof now. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> There's like little moments like that. Like the the re- thing I wrote down at that point was the jokes actually stem from the plot, right? Mm-hmm. You tell the plot and you could do this story as a straight drama if you wanted to, but they actually incorporate the funny moments that hang on the narratively dramatic plot. So the director, Andrew Ahn, says, the film doesn't sugarcoat the Fire Island experience. And Joel has talked about how many moments of the film are lifted from his own experiences. I love rom-coms and there's something about them that allows us to process the difficult emotions around being desired that without a sense of humor uh, would be crushing. And so that's true. Like this could be like an incredibly dramatic uh, watch if Mm -hmm. it were positioned that way. But because of the plot is laid out by Pride and Prejudice, right. they can throw all that context and throw all that humor in there. And it just becomes a much more fun movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, speaking of it being a fun movie, uh, one of the reasons that we decided to do this movie, because we were looking at a bunch of different yep. um, possible LGBTQ films to do. And I think one of the ones that you brought up was Save Me By Your, Call Me By Your Name. Yep. There were other ones. And, and I said, like, I, what? While I don't mind watching Call Me By Your Name at some point, I wanted to really do a movie that is fun. Yeah. That is, um, that is not going, that's celebratory, that is, that is not going to necessarily end with like, and then we couldn't be together because we were gay and it was the 1800s, right? (laughs) Yes. And And that's, that's what this does. And Call Me By Your Name was referenced in this movie. It was. By Bowen Yang's character as a masterpiece. (laughs) And, 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 and absolutely, by, and by Noah as a, a little boring, which I could probably also see. <laughs> yeah, and like absolutely, I'm, you know, I'm sure that it is. But to me, you know, the the idea to bring it back to the Respect for Marriage Act, the idea of what's happening there is it is the culmination of the normalization of gay culture in America. Yeah. Right, we've had this huge cultural shift in and 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 um, shift in perception and opinion in American culture. Uh, to accept and normalize gay people and and relationships. And that's what I was really wanting to see. That's what I think that this film does, right? It is not a film like um, Moonlight, which is, again, very good, but is around the the trauma, I think, of... uh, Partially. uh, It does have a happy ending. It it does have a happy ending, but but it's it's very serious, right? It's not this, like... It's not a comedy. (laughs) It's not a comedy. This This is a comedy that is explicitly born out of the idea that being gay is normalized to an extent, and that we don't actually have to make a film about, you know, the a character coming out to their parents and having to have that story. We start the conversation in the middle, yeah. assuming that we all know this. And now we get to just have fun and also happen to be gay, right? right? It is a rom-com where people happen to be gay, but it is first and foremost, a romantic comedy. Right. Right. And it's also like, I, 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 so we can say that as, as like, it's not about like the gayness, but it is in a way, but it's, it's not like, uh, othering that, right. It's like, it is the community. It is the experiences that community has. And therefore it is, uh, you know, centered around their experiences rather than saying like, oh, Marvel um, Avengers Endgame has like a character who's sitting in a uh, seat and is like, oh, yes, yeah, so my boyfriend disappeared in the snap. And it's like, 
yeah, okay, Marvel, trying to like throw a gay character in there for what purpose? And it's like, this movie is like, no, no, no this is in the community. It, it's here. Like it's, it's, right. it is about it. In a yeah. way it is, it is similar to, to um, Crazy Rich Asians, right? Sure, Where yeah. you have this film that is a rom-com that is featuring, you know, this marginalized community and it, it gives you details into that culture, into that life, but it's not just, you know, it's not about being Asian. It's yeah. not about being gay. It's just here are people who happen to be in that community and a story that can be told about it. Yeah. And and one of the producers basically said as much. So producer Brooke Posh said, writing a movie that has something for everyone is almost impossible. And I think this is really working on so many different levels, different genres, differences in the audience. So every joke isn't for everyone, but you can still engage with it. That's I think right. that's part. It's like understanding like not everybody's going to be, you know, wholly on board with all of this stuff for various reasons. And it doesn't matter. Like people will find things in it that they can attach themselves right. to. And I think part of equality and normalization is you don't have to make something for everyone. Yep. Right. Yep, you right. can make something for a niche community. You can make something that is not being everything to everyone. And that's okay. And yeah. that's equality. Yep. And uh, that will bring us to one of the other movies that we were considering <laughs> watching. And I don't want to dwell on this no but it's uh, a movie by billy eigner who uh is famous for billy on the street a tv show that was on uh gosh it was oh, i forget the channel it was on it was a web series at first and then i think got moved up to a television program yeah. um where billy eigner would go around and talk to people on the street and it was very funny um was it funny or die i might have been funny or die you're right yeah. yeah and so uh he released a movie um this year also called bros and also a rom-com also a rom-com um you know, and and we watched the first twenty minutes of it, and we kind of <laughs> looked up at each other and said, "Can we can we turn this off?" Like, yeah, can I we paused just it. Not... I was like, uh, "How do you feel about not doing this?" Film? Yeah, and you know, well, I'm sure at some point we'll go back and try the other parts of the movie, but it just it, for some reason it just didn't feel like the plot was there. It felt like a lot of like. We're going to make jokes about things that are important to like gay experiences, not wrapped up in any sort of discernible plot. And one of the things that this movie, uh, Fire Island, did so well was the plot was easy to understand because Pride and Prejudice is well known as a successful plot and narrative uh, and that has been done many times. And they could attach community to it, like we've been saying. Right. This was like literally the first line in the the movie Bros was like, this podcast is called the Eleventh Brick at Stonewall because while the first brick was probably thrown by a black, you know, trans woman or whatever, uh, the Eleventh Brick was definitely thrown by a, a cis, cis white, white uh, gay man. Yeah, and it's like that's just not that funny. It's too much education. Yeah. It's, like, it's like it's it's just it's just not brevity is the soul of wit. You kind of have to assume people are gonna do that explainer on their own. If you're having to explain the joke, the joke doesn't work. I think that. For all the reasons that we appreciated how how Fire Island treats their audience with respect by yeah. saying, I'm not going to explain every single thing about gay culture to you. You'll get it or you don't. Yep. This kind of doesn't really do that, right? Yeah. And, and they had literally within the first 20 minutes, at least three different scenes yeah. that were giving education around what it means to be a gay man, specifically in yeah. New York. And it was just, it was too much and not enough like, hey, here's the plot of the movie. Right, right. Here's what we should expect from these characters. Like, yes, that's right. Yeah. And so it was maybe just too aware. I think it, it was it was trying to be, like we talked about before, like everything to everyone. It was trying yeah. to be this like big, like 
you know, Amy Schumer, rom-com, like goofy, whatever. And, and it was just, it was trying to be something that like it, our parents could watch and love maybe, and yeah. like, you know, it and, took and a explain lot of the, every single thing. It took a lot of the weight of being like the first studio release right. uh, gay rom-com in theaters right. on its shoulders, I think. And, and maybe felt a little bit of that burden in the, the writing process. Yeah. And it just didn't feel like something that we wanted to cover. So I think, yeah. you know, I, I'm glad that we made the switch. I will say this. Yeah. The reason that it's important to bring up, um, even though don't want to dwell on it, is Joel Kim Booster was actually a writer for Billy on the Street. So okay. he actually worked for uh, Billy Agner and they both had their movies come out in the same year. Um, and, and it was interesting. So obviously this was a release direct to Hulu. Um, Bros got the the box office treatment and then is now on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that Joel Kim Booster said, he says, I think we've reached an amazing place in representation when people talk about his movie without bringing up mine. Yeah. There's an oppositional energy online of people saying, oh, Fire Island looks like shit and Bros looks amazing or vice versa. We'll really have reached the promised land uh, when that conversation doesn't happen. So I don't want to dwell on it and say like, one is good and one is bad. We should compare them to each other. But we just did happen to, in the process of looking for a movie to cover, ha- stumble upon both and start with one and just didn't really get into it. So totally fine. If you if you are interested in bros, it is available on Peacock um, if you pay for Peacock. So uh, you can give that a shot and maybe you'll love it. Like it is definitely a possibility that it's just not our vibe. It's just a you know, some uh, different type of movie. Yeah. And I think to that point, you know, obviously last week we did two Wong Fu, thanks for everything, you know, and yeah. and you can go back and listen to that. But at the time that that came out, um, back in what, 1995, mm-hmm. um, the another film had come out that same year called uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, yeah. which was, um, I think, an Australian film mm-hmm. where they were going through the desert and it was a road trip comedy or road trip film as well. And they're like every single, you know, every single article from then and even now sort of compares the two and they couldn't help themselves because those are the only two films that were like that. Yeah, exactly. And and I even thought about it when we did Mm -hmm. uh, to Wong Fu. I was like, oh, we could do Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And you're like, what? (laughs) Right. And, you know, the, and so to your point of like how, or to, to uh, Joel Kim Booster's point about how far we've come, you know, that there really isn't a ton of, of comparing of the two, because there are so many other, um, things that have come out since then there. It's just, again, it's, it's not like you have to pit them against each other. Right. Although Billy Agner did kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit in the press leading up to this. He said, um, uh, referring to his movie, he says, this is not an indie indie movie. This is not some streaming thing, which feels disposable or which is like one of a million Netflix shows. I need, I needed to appreciate that. This is a historic moment and somehow you're at the center of it. You helped create it. So taking a little bit of that shine on himself, uh, and maybe denigrating some of the other things that came out. You know, I don't, It, it, it was interpreted that way online, whether that was the intent, it does not seem as though it was. His apology also wasn't great, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and like a generous interpretation and say that he's more just talking about stuff that comes on Netflix, which is kind of garbage. Or, you know, um, all of those, I guess, romantic comedies that we saw uh, that right. were basically like Lifetime yes. movies. And, and I will say, like, if the criticism is of Netflix or of their production, like, uh, schedule and how they make TV shows and movies, like, mm-hmm. it's spot on. Like, they are... They do treat it as disposable. And that's kind of, that's, that's my interpretation of that statement. I, yeah. I could see very easily myself making some kind of a, you know, remark like that and absolutely not meaning to imply yeah. that, that he, you know, was talking specifically about Fire Island yeah. or, you know, his friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, 
the reception generally to this film was very good. I will also say the reception critically uh, and and from an audience standpoint for Bros was also very good. So you yeah, know may, right. maybe maybe up to your standards if you're listening at home. But uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this as a 94 percent on 112 critics reviews. Nice, an average of about 7.4 out of 10. Uh, I think it's, that's absolutely right. <laughs> it's yeah. a, right, a spot online. According to the viewership tracking app TV Time, Fire, Fire Island was the eighth most anticipated film during the month of June 2022. Okay. And uh, it was the sixth most streamed movie across all platforms during its sort of launch week of June the 11th, 2022. Mm-hmm. So six overall in the middle of summer, as far as we have like any insight into what these numbers mean, it's not bad for an independent film like this. Like if you said an indie film was six at the box office, you'd be like, okay, good job. You pulled in some numbers. I, oh, I just want to pass a law that forces streaming companies to give us their numbers. I just want to know what the metrics are. Just tell me what the metrics are purely for my podcast. Right. (laughs) Can I pass a law just for my podcast that tells us, I mean, I'm just morbid curiosity. I want to know what these films are doing. We just don't get that for whatever ridiculous yeah. reason yeah there are third parties that are working on it but it's just it's not there yet um <sighs> the other the other good note here is that joel kim booster was nominated for the independent spirit award for best first screenplay mm-hmm. um, he was also named one of the 10 screenwriters to watch by variety um the cast overall received the ensemble special award at the 2022 gotham awards so they did get a little bit of awards notoriety in the indie circle in New York, which is great. Yeah. Um, and I think well-deserved and, and all in all, um, my thoughts are I, I do recommend this movie uh, to people who feel like they want to see it. Obviously, uh, the people who don't want to see it might have turned off the podcast already because <laughs> maybe they're a little more Christian and got upset with me for yelling about Jesus and calling him a zombie. But, uh, you know, if you're still with us, <laughs> uh, there are a couple scenes that are a bit, uh, you know, graphic in terms of sex. So, you know, as long as you're cool with like, you know, watching, uh, I wouldn't even say graphic. It's all like in dark and it's stuff. Implied. It's implied. There are no penises. Yeah. And so as long as you're like not going to just be weird about it, like it's a great movie. It's very funny. If you like Pride and Prejudice, you'll like it. If you like comedy, you'll like it. It's good. It's not any more graphic than the the pie sex scene in American Pie. That's a really good comparison. That's right. Yeah. And even in that one, that, yeah, like that's a little more depending on the version you see. If you saw like the, the director's cut, the American Pie scene was a little bit more graphic. Um, the two of them, the two of the sex scenes were a little more graphic in the director's cut. Uh, 13-year-old Forrest wants you to know that. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. Like, if you watched American Pie and you saw that and you're like, eh, that was a little racy, eh. But then you, for whatever reason, watch this and you get uncomfortable, that's something in you, right? Yeah, That's something to it. That's 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 a good point for introspection. Right, that's right. Correctamundo. What do you think? I absolutely recommend this. I mean, again, especially if you like Pride and Prejudice, (laughs) especially if you like, I think, interesting adaptations, right? And so this sort of falls into that thing where it's like, I really love the idea of a really well-done acoustic version of a pop song. Now, it's overplayed at this point, but you know what I'm saying. Like a different country version of a rap song, right? right? I love taking something that has already existed and flipping it and twisting it in a new light and making something that feels new. It's like Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston doing I Will Always Love You. Absolutely. I think that it is a new take on something that has been around for a while that I, that I already love. And I highly recommend it. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. It's well done. Um, It's something that was on my list of things that I had meant to watch and I just hadn't gotten around to it. So much content. 
There's too much content. Yes. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our uh, our stuff today. The one announcement I will make before we leave is uh-huh. I just started a newsletter oh, for the yeah. podcast, uh, thecrosscut.substack.com. If you want to go there and sign up, you will get, at, by the end of the year, my top 10 films of 2022. That's not something we can really do on the podcast in our format. So I just wanted to have an extra place where occasionally if I like a movie or want to write about, you know, the trends in movie going these days, I can do it. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. So are um, these top 10 films that came out in 2022? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Not just films that you had watched in Correct. 2022. Yeah. yeah. How many films have you watched so far this year? Uh, 86 now, I think. Okay. So I will be, not all from 2022, but yeah. uh, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm I'm running against the gun. I'm trying to get to 100 before the end of the year. So we'll see how it goes. Good luck with that. Thank you. you. I'm do watch- what I did and just wake up and pump, uh, breast, <laughs> breast pump uh, at 5.30 in the morning for a year straight and you watch all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wouldn't watch movies that I've already seen. Uh, and also uh, that would confuse our children. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. You can find us on, uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, review, find us on Twitter. We are at the Crosscut. Instagram, we are at the Crosscut Pod. And uh, have a wonderful weekend. And a Merry Christmas. We will probably see you for one more episode before the holidays, but we may not. We'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. see. Who knows? It's insane. Yeah. Bye. Bye.